Quick breakout down the right wing side. Here's back with tip out in front for Sutter. He scores! The comeback is complete. The Ontario Rain. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Kings. However, the views and opinions expressed are solely those of the host and other contributors. They do not necessarily represent those of the Los Angeles Kings. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. My name is Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. You want insiders? We've got insiders. Kings insiders, Rain insiders, all the insiders. Uh, we're going to get you caught up with everything going on behind the scenes in this episode, Kings fans. So I hope you enjoy it. Never miss an episode by subscribing now. Subscription links and recent episodes are available at lakings.com slash podcast. Now sit back and get comfy because we are going inside. Joining me now, Ontario Rain Insider, Lindsay Zarneski. How are you doing today, Lindsay? Doing great, Jesse. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. Uh, so it turns out taking a break from talking to each other may be uh, just what the <laughs> the rain needed as they have uh, put together a six-game winning streak. Um, now, a lot of those games were in OT, Lindsay, but I'm curious, to what do you credit this uh, recent success? I think it's a couple things, Jesse. I, I think, for one, uh, Jack Campbell has been on the top of his game, and he's just really seemed like he's settled down in his play now that he's had the opportunity to you know, be in Ontario for an extended time and not moving around. He's played the last 13 you know, fairly well in that stretch, of course, reclaimed first place in the Pacific. And um, another factor is the addition of Teddy Purcell. I think just having him on that top line with Michael Mersh, who, who's now injured, and, and TJ Hensick, um, he just brings a different element, um, more energy, um, obviously experience. I think he makes the Reigns power play, which was very good at the start of the season, a much more dangerous one. Um, and I think, too, the resurgence of Michael Mersh, uh, a little bit of a letdown start for him. Um, I think just from not making the Kings and kind of had a tough time uh, getting going early in the in the season, but now he's he's scoring and getting to those dirty areas like the Michael Mersh of old, and it's just unfortunate for him now that he is uh, battling an injury at, at a pretty tough time. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously the recurring theme of this year for both clubs is that they can't seem to stay perfectly healthy. How important is it going to be to get Michael Mersh back in the lineup as quickly as possible? Well, I think it's going to be pretty important just because there's a lot of other players injured now, too. I mean, Mersh was hurt on Friday against Stockton. He, he played through the game. Um, what he was saying was more of an adrenaline thing. You it happens in the game, and you ride on adrenaline, and then the next day he wasn't feeling so good. Um, he gave himself a 50-50 shot to play this weekend, but um, Southern said, you know, they're going to give him all the time he needs. So there's that, but then with you, you asking if how quickly they really need him, I mean, they need him so badly because now Joel Lowry is out for an extended period of time. We learned today um, he has a lower body injury that – that he suffered on Saturday. So um, that adds to the list. I mean, Andrew Crescenzi is still out. He skated yesterday after practice. But um, Southers doesn't think he's quite close yet. Bissonette's still out. Trauman, they thought he was going to be uh, ready for 2017, and he suffered a setback in his injury. So it doesn't appear that he'll be ready anytime soon either. Is anybody... <laughs> 
Is anybody actually healthy for this team? Um, we've, we talked earlier in the season about uh, the limitations that having so many veterans places on, on their ability to, to ice a lineup because they can only have, what is it, six players, I think? Um, right. And so does this give a player like Patrick Bjorkstrand uh, a bigger opportunity to make an impact on this team? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I can't imagine him not being in the lineup this weekend unless there's some miracle workers going on for all these injured players. But um, for Bjorkstrand, he's played fairly well in the appearances that he's been able to get into the lineup. It's just been a matter a numbers game for him. So um, he was able to play on, on Saturday, kind of subbed in uh, into Michael Mersh's role. We've, we've seen players like Paul Bissonette uh, play defense when when called upon. Are there any uh, defensemen on this team that can fill in and play forward if they have to? You know, Alex Lynch and Niemi was subbing in on the fourth line yesterday at practice with Michael Dada and Sam Hare. I don't go. really know if uh, be a consideration um, to skate on that you know line permanently, or if the Rain would consider maybe calling up somebody from Manchester. But um, I think we would likely either see. Lynch and Niemi may be up there, if possible. If not, if, if these injured guys can't get, get healthy enough, I wouldn't be surprised if the Rain make a roster move towards the end of the week. You mentioned TJ Hensick uh, playing on a line with Mersh and Purcell. He has reclaimed the scoring lead uh, for the Ontario Rain, passing uh, my new favorite player, Johnny Brodzinski. So how's Johnny Brodzinski doing? Oh, I think he's still you know, doing his same old thing. He's, he's looked good since the break. Um, I mean, Hensick overpassing him. I mean, they've been neck and neck really, really all season. But um, I think Brodzinski's looks fine. Uh, so this weekend, the Ontario Rain host uh, an outdoor game, <laughs> which, uh, man, I still haven't decided whether or not I'm going to go to. I really, really want to. But the event that I want to go to even more is the event uh, the day before the outdoor game, which is an, uh, an NHL alumni game uh, <laughs> between... Uh, alumni of the Los Angeles Kings and the uh, the and the Bakersfield Condors uh, parent club, the Edmonton Oilers. And so I'm just going to run off a list of names of players that are playing in this game, Lindsay, for, for those listening uh, who may not have heard of this yet. Wayne Gretzky will be playing. Uh, Kevin Lowe will be playing. Uh, Craig McTavish, Glenn Anderson, um, Luke Robitaille, Rob Blake, Bernie Nichols, Daryl Evans, um, Yaroslav Modri, uh, Jamie Storr. It it's it is a who's who of my uh, of my childhood hockey fandom. <laughs> um, I think I read somewhere that there's uh, was it thirty two Stanley Cups uh, amongst the players uh, appearing in this in this alumni game. Um, I, I really want to encourage people if they can to go out and and watch this game. Um, it's going to be incredible, right? Oh yeah, I mean, just you listing off all those names. I mean, I'm sure it's going to be a, a lot of fun. And it's a the 6 p.m. start for the alumni game on Friday night, and a ticket ticket to the game uh, on Saturday gets you into the alumni game. So it's a win-win, you know, for the fans. And you know, like you were saying, a lot of those names those are names that. Um, people who grew up here in Southern California watching. I mean, obviously Kevin Lowe and, and those guys played with Gretzky during the 80s uh, with Edmonton. So it, it should be it should be a lot of fun. And a lot, uh, the Kings development staff, uh, some of those guys were out of the arena today, and they're saying, you know, they're looking they're looking forward to it. So uh, it, it should be a lot of fun. 
And I, I, I neglected to mention Keith Gretzky, Wayne's brother, and Ty Gretzky, Wayne's son, will both be playing <laughs> alongside him uh, on the Edmonton Oilers alumni and friends team. Um, it's it's going to be fascinating. And then the following weekend, uh, uh, January 14th, Saturday, January 14th, the Kings play another game against the Bakersfield Condors, and that will be Star Wars night at uh, at the Citizens Business Bank Arena in Ontario. And I think, again, another reason that Kings fans should go make it out to uh, to Ontario if they can, although the outdoor game is in Bakersfield. Um, but a trip out to Ontario for the Star Wars night is always uh, is always entertaining. Have you attended the Star Wars nights in years past? Well, oh, I mean, like I was at the Star Wars night last year, obviously, but... I'm honestly not a huge Star Wars fan. I think maybe what? we talked about this. <laughs> I know. The last uh, Star Wars night we talked about this and uh I gotta get I gotta get watching the Star Wars series, I think. Man, how did I forget that <laughs> That seems like something that would stand out. Well, all right. Well that's fine. But there are plenty of Kings fans that are Star Wars fans, and as I said, I encourage them all. To go, uh, not just to watch uh, stormtroopers on ice, but uh, but also to watch the uh, Ontario Reign, who have again reclaimed the division lead. Um, I know you spoke to Coach Stuthers about that, and I know that it means that he goes on now to coach the All Star game. Is that correct? Yeah, he'll represent the Pacific Division by virtue of the team being in the lead at that at that point in time, and it was a you know a complete turnaround. He said it was. You know, an honor, and it's a reflection of uh, the entire organization, the the players, the coaching staff, uh, Chris Height and his assistant. So uh, he's happy to represent represent the Reign and represent the Kings. Now, moving forward, how confident are you that now that they've regained the top spot in the division, that they will uh, continue the rest of the way, uh, being a, a closer to the competitive team they were last year? I think they're going to face some bumps in the road, like like any hockey team, to be honest. But um, there has been a, a significant shift in their play, where they look more like the team of old, um, as of like the team of last year. Just the way that they they play from behind in, in stretches and never feel like they're out of the game. I mean, I think that was the theme a lot last season was that the Rain were just able to be a team that never went away and. Uh, we saw that on New Year's Eve. I mean, they came back down uh, four to two against Stockton to win, you know, five four in overtime. Scored two power play goals. Had a, you know, four a long four minute power play at the end of the third period. Scored four two, and then uh, Brett Sutter scores in overtime on it. So I mean, things are good for the Rain. I think Sean Backman said after that game, it's a good time to be a, a player on the Rain right now, and uh, they're having a lot of fun. And they're just hoping to keep this good times rolling, but I. You know, they're, they're going to face some adversity here if, if Merch is out for an extended period of time. You know, it's so rare in, in today's day and age for a, a sports score to come across and sort of catch someone you catch you off guard because we have so much, you know, constant information and constant, um, you know, contact with the, with the information we want. And so as I'm watching the Kings play the Sharks on New Year's Eve, I'm sort of, you know, just in my peripheral awareness, you know, acknowledging that the Ontario Reign are playing this game and I see that they're losing and I think, oh, well, that's too bad. You know, obviously you want the winning streak to keep going for the Reign. And so the Kings-Sharks game ends. I was feeling a little under the weather, so I called it a night. And then I wake up the next morning to an email 
that says, "Hey, the Ontario Rain won in overtime." <laughs> I thought, yeah. This is one of the. It's it's been years since I uh, since I went to bed assuming that um, that one outcome was uh, assured, and then <laughs> finding out that the that a team came back and, and won. So that was uh, great for them and great for Reigns fans. Uh, Lindsay, I want to thank you as always for joining me. Don't worry, Jesse. Thanks for having me. Joining me here at Toyota Sports Center, fresh off a taping of Saturday Straight Up, is LA Kings insider John Rosen. How are you doing today, John? Fantastic. This is awesome. There's no Jack Wilson here, so I win every single college football. Ar- I won every single college football argument anyway when Jack was here, but this time I'm just running unopposed. Something, 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 Jim Harbaugh, something, something. That's what is they that say. That's what they say. Anyway. <laughs> All right, John. So they've, uh, they spend most of December on the road. They, they sweep a tough home-and-home series against San Jose. Then they come back and do not have a great performance against Detroit. Should we have expected something of a letdown in the first home game on a long stretch? Yeah, I think you should expect a letdown. I don't think it should be a letdown in the form of a 4 nothing defeat. I mean, that was... Can we just think off the tops of our heads here? What what was the worst game that you can remember seeing at Staples Center? You asked, yeah, you asked me that last night, and we we had to go back a couple seasons. I because mean, there are some games where they raise banners, and they're well, the truly awful said, games. Right. So those games don't <laughs> yeah. count. Yeah, um, I would look back. I remember last year there was a truly terrible game against Minnesota. I think it was a three nothing defeat. Yeah, I would put this that one rings in, a bell. That one in the same kind of category. Of course, when you have beginning of the season games, the first five games of the season are going to be sloppy and. Both this year and last year, there were some truly terrible games. One of the things that I experienced growing up is my dad would, sorry, my father would always say, you know, as long as they're trying, you you don't mind going to a blowout. And and the game last night, I'm not going to suggest they weren't trying, but games like last night were eerily reminiscent of the late 90s where you're just like, all right, five minutes into the game, they're not winning this. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I, I always kind of shun those mm-hmm. uh, arguments. Like, oh, they just don't care. They don't give no, a I, damn. Because, you know, over 82 games, sure. you know, I've, I've heard one player explain it. You know, your body's going to be great. You're going to really be feeling it for about 60 games. For another, you know, 15 games, you're probably going to be okay, and you'll be able to get through it, and there might just be a small handful of games. You know what? I don't want to sugarcoat this. They lost 4 nothing to a team that was well below them. I shouldn't say well below them. It's below them in the standings. It is having major defensive and personnel issues. But it's, of course, you come off a couple of uh, – uh, um, emotional wins over yeah. San Jose, divisional games, four straight divisional games, and you have a stinker like that. You know, you think maybe you can get a result out of it, get at least a point. Maybe it's a you know, something else, but a four nothing defeat. That's 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 how much is use profanity? On no, this, so. no. Well, you can. I'll just leave it out. How much of this do we blame on your protege, Bo Hamby, for uh, tweeting out before the game that, Je- that Jeff Zakoff had never allowed three goals to Detroit in his career? Um, you know, I-, I would say I would make some sort of thing like jinxes don't really exist. That's all like black magic stuff. Sure. But but um, Zadkoff's got to win some home games. And he's yeah. got to win some more games, too, coming up. Um, it was interesting that um, for a while, you know, everyone wanted to talk about Peter Budai. And, and when we were on the road, we were at home. So many questions over the last couple of weeks to Daryl Sutter. Budai, Budai, Budai. And he made a point to say, well, Jeff Sadkoff, if you look back at the road trip, he had that huge game in Detroit, mm-hmm. and that was a very important win. He also had that great performance in Dallas. So I think Daryl, even uh, the morning of the game, uh, said, you know, don't overlook those two games by, by Jeff Sadkoff. And then he came back. He still is winless uh, at home at Staples Center. And unfortunately, in two of those games, uh, you know, the entire team around him just didn't have it there for him. Uh, you look back at the Carolina game, um, you know, I don't think you can really fault Sadkoff on a couple of those individual goals, maybe the very first one. Um, but still, when you call something a bad goal, and this is something that I'm regurgitating some Jim Fox here because mm-hmm. we have this discussion all the time. When there is a bad goal, 
that means that everybody else on the ice, just about, was doing their job and that the play was well defended, but the puck still crosses the goal line. Um, and I don't think that was the case, really, for, for any of the goals. I think there were missed coverages. I think the Kings were really sloppy in the neutral zone where um, I believe it was the uh, second Vanek goal where Athanasiu was driving down the right wing. He took that pass from Erickson. There was nobody impeding him in the neutral zone there. Yeah. So, um, you know, there, it was a kind of uh, you know, calamity of errors that led to that. And, and the tail end of that, they didn't get any stops uh, that they needed in that game. It didn't matter. They didn't score any goals. Yeah, I mean... Uh, uh, how do you say? Athanasiu. I like it because it's almost like Tranastasio. Um, I think go. he might be the like Greek Tranastasio. <laughs> but he was, I mean, he was tearing up the ice last night. I mean, his speed was, yeah. was unbelievable. And he's a good player. He's a big player. They, they got to the second star of the game, and I was expecting it to be him, and it wasn't him. And I said, how could it possibly not? And then, of course, he was the number one star. But um, I agree with you about the goaltending. I've said this plenty of times on the podcast. I, I have very little interest or use for going back and analyzing each goal by goal. You know, is it a good goal? Is it a bad goal? Because we never do that for the other team, right? If Jeff Carter rips a, a wrist shot from, you know, the high slot, nobody looks at the other goalie and says, well, should he have stopped that? We just go, oh, my God, an unbelievable shot by Jeff and, Carter. And that's an interesting thing. That even reminds me specifically of one goal from the 2013 playoff series against San Jose. This was a second-round series against the Sharks. Uh, it was a home game. What was it? Game five, maybe. game. Yes, game five at Staples Center, where it was early in the first period, and he just... Clides down the right wing and off the rush shoots it right. from maybe even outside the right circle, like the periphery of the right circle, <laughs> right. and beats Niemi inside that far post. Right. And it's like at one point you think maybe that's not a good goal because, you know, there was, first of all, there are reasons why he was there on that sure. part of the ice, but, <laughs> but he's Jeff Carter. He can shoot like that off right. the rush. We saw that, that goal that he scored, uh, you know, in the previous home game against Well, and that's, and that's why I say I, I don't find it particularly productive from my perspective anyway, because like I said, if, if I was a Red Wings fan, I wouldn't be analyzing the play of Jeff Hackett. I'd just be saying, oh my God, what a great game yeah. <laughs> by the Red Wings. Um, but we do have to acknowledge that some players on the Kings are, shall we say, underperforming. Struggling. Yeah. Slumping. Um, uh, Andre Kopitar mm-hmm. uh, and and Marion Gabrick among them. Uh, I Dustin Brown had been playing well, but hadn't been getting the results. I feel, um, but all three of them together just hasn't really, you know combined for production yet at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't want to make excuses. These aren't excuses. I'm trying to find reasons for this. Um, but for Kopitar. Uh, one goal in his last 27 games. Uh, he's not even earning assists. This is a Kings team, too, that's uh, a little bit snake-bitten. They're not getting the same degree of secondary production, so there's a little bit more burden on the top guys, too. And on those nights when Jeff Carter doesn't score, um, you might have some of those nights where they were just shut out for their fifth time uh, against the Detroit Red Wings. Um, but for Kopitar, you know, we're probably getting one of either two things, either a massive market correction in the second half of the season because his... Uh, shooting percentage has basically been halved. Andre mm-hmm. Kopitar now is shooting 4.1%, which is yeah. below half of what his career rate was coming into the year. Um, or, you know, we're going to learn after the year that he was battling through that injury that he suffered to that hand, wrist, arm area mm-hmm. up in Ottawa. I don't want to speculate on injuries, but it's certainly plausible that that is one of the scenarios that combines with several other things. It's all, never just one thing. Sure. It's always a number of things um, because there are reasons behind why things happen. These aren't excuses, um, but uh, as for Marion Gabrick, uh, you know, these are two players that the Kings have to get production for. This wasn't going to be a high-scoring Kings team to begin with. Uh, they've done a good job holding their own in the standings and doing what they need to do to be in the position to strike for when Jonathan Quick comes back, assuming he does in the second half of the season. Um, but right now, it's it's just 
they're not getting any goal scoring uh, from either of those two players. Yeah, Trevor Lewis, more goals than Gabrick and Kopitar combined. Um, <laughs> let, let that sink in for a yeah. second. Uh, and on the blue line, I think I think it's fair to say that while Martinez has had an impressive scoring year, Jake Muzzin may be taking a step back. I want to focus on what you suggested about the market correction in the second half of the season because one of the things I've been hearing a lot uh, from people I talk to about this is that that a lot of this can be attributed to luck um, and that the Kings will have a, a, a bounce-back season like they did in 2012, right? That's the year we all point to where everybody's scratching their head saying, how can everybody on this team be failing to score? And then they pick up Jeff Carter and they become a four-goal-a-game team and go on to dominate the, the playoffs. The structure in their lineup yeah. was really enhanced by that. That It was a good hockey trade. And, and so, but, but so for this season, they're currently tops in the league as far as shots against. I mean, defensively, they, they are well. they the check same. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so are we expecting a turnaround? I mean, if Toffoli comes back and is healthy, if Gabrick gets a few more games under his belt to get healthy, do we think this can be a team? I mean, obviously we're not expecting a huge trade. You know, I, I when I think of luck, I know PDO is a stat that a lot of people will use, um, and that is obviously a, a valuable stat. I'm going to mm-hmm. bring up the Kings PDO in a second. I generally look more at um, at shooting percentages, mm-hmm. where if there is a player, unless they are injured or unless they're starting to get old or unless they're really about to enter their prime, you're not going to see too much deviation in their shooting percentage. And I'm not an expert at all whatsoever on advanced stats, nor do I think that possession rates are the be-all, end-all of any sort of player evaluation or team evaluation. Um, but the guys right now that you would think would probably have a little bit of a, a market correction here are Jeff Carter, mm-hmm. um, where he's yeah, now no shooting kidding. almost 17%. <laughs> yeah. and he's, he's shown in his career to be a little bit of a streaky goal scorer, too. Uh-huh. So don't be surprised, especially now, because um, there is a little bit of uh, of um, that dearth of scoring from some mm-hmm. of the secondary scorers and with Tyler Tofoli out. Uh, Good word, Tyler dearth, t- by the way. Oh, eh, it's okay. <laughs> uh, Tofoli, also an underrated passer, can get him mm-hmm. the puck, too. You don't be surprised if he goes you know, two goals in seven games or eight right. games or something like that. But generally, when that type of stuff happens, somebody else also picks up the slack. Maybe Jeff Carter isn't scoring, and then players like Andre Kopitar, Nick Dowd, Marion Gabrick, whoever you want to go up and down the lineup. But clearly, right now, you look at Andre Kopitar, 4.1%. Um, you know, I believe in the regression and progression to the mean, mm-hmm. um, and, and that's something right now. But when you look at PDO... Um, the most uh, lucky players, and this is not a, a, a stat of luck. It's just basically your combined on-ice save percentage plus your on-ice shooting percentage. Yeah. It's a very simple stat. I don't know what we even call it an advanced stat. Um, but several defensemen are up there um, where there are goals being scored and good save percentages on the ice when Kevin Gravel, Matt Green, Derek Forbert are all on the ice. And you have Jeff Carter clocking it at 101.25, where you have the base of 100. That would be even luck, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, you know, players at the very bottom end of that, I mean, you look at Jake Muzzin. Uh, Jake Muzzin, 94.9. That would be among the very lowest ever uh, in the last 10 years for the Kings. Nick Dowd, last on the team, 94.1%. Dustin Brown has traditionally had a low PD over the last several years. So um, I don't want to get too advanced stats heavy because I don't, again, believe thoroughly in, in the PDO stat. I like more shooting percentage. Mm-hmm. But not just at even strength, but also in all situations. Um, it, it, it points to Jeff Carter. As we all know, he's not going to average. You know, he's probably not going to be a forty goal scorer. It could very well happen. He could be a high thirty goal scorer. Yeah. Very well. I, look, I take I take twenty five at this point. Um, I, it's been fascinating watching uh, when fancy stats first. Uh, I, I shouldn't even call them fancy stats, but I'm going to when they first sort of hit the uh, the the scene, as it were. For me, it was 2012 and that Carter trade. I remember scratching my head 
when a lot of them were described and saying to myself, well, I just don't understand why that should matter or why that should be important. PDO being one of them, right? Like why shooting percentage when you're on the ice and save percentage? I can see how you might have an influence on both. But anyway, the point is now that we're getting even more and more people, uh, you know, younger college students, people, you know, working on projects for their school, and they're coming with more stats and more stats, and they're layering on themselves, and you're beginning to see this fascinating infighting now as to which ones are important and which ones should be... Uh, it's a very boring infighting. It really is, but it's, it's fascinating. It's fascinating to oh, me. This is what makes really... reporters and, and broadcasters and everyone despise Twitter at times. But, um, Sorry. No, no, it's fine, but, but so it's just... I find now, I find myself reading the arguments that I would make four years ago. You know, like when I heard PDO, I thought, well, that's just the silliest thing I've ever heard. Why should that matter? And then I came to sort of buy into it the more I heard about it. And then just yesterday, flipping through Twitter, and one of the stat heads is saying, you know, like, explain to me again why I should care about two unrelated numbers being added together. Yeah, explain <laughs> to me why I should care about it. I want to hear that explanation. I don't want to hear that Yeah, but um, so... But- but part of that is, too, because I think it does help tell the story. Yeah. We're here. We're storytellers here. We're trying to explain why had why were the 2012-2014 mm-hmm. Stanley Cup runs, why have the Kings, you know, why were they a team that, that won the Stanley Cup in two years and went to the conference final in the year in between? And one of the reasons, there are so many reasons. Again, it's never just yeah. one thing, but one of the reasons was because they played in the offensive zone to a much greater degree than their opponent and that... Um, that was in you know kind of an underrecognized part of their game. Even when they weren't scoring as much, they were probably due. Their PDOs were low. Their shooting percentages were low. Um, that 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 helps tell the story of why they engineered that success when others right. might not have seen that coming. But then there's also uh, elements that are totally different in the two years. For example, in 2012, other than Kyle Clifford, no injuries, right? And Clifford out early. Bizarre. But no but I mean like defense, yeah. right? All six guys played yeah, every no every game. Is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then in 2014, you had bodies in and out of the lineup the whole way. So two like polar opposite yeah, types yeah. of runs. We know that. Yeah. Uh so moving forward, the tons of stuff looming in the off season where we're sort of referencing them without diving deeply into them. Um the Kings have a lot of free agency questions. It's halfway through the year now. Any anything looming as far as deals or um, or situations settled? I, I, nothing nothing imminent that I know right now at this point. But um I am more confident and I don't want to, you know, say something that's not going to happen, but I'm more mm-hmm. confident now that the Kings will both be able to get both Tyler Toffoli and Tanner Pearson under contract than I was at the beginning of the year. The beginning of the year, I did not see that as something that would be able to happen. Um, the Kings have a little bit more salary cap than I think uh, certain people know. Mm-hmm. They're right in the middle of the pack right now, but basically that's just because all teams are basically up right now against the cap because the cap is flat. Yeah. Um, but um, you know, I would I would think that if they were able to get something done, with both Pearson and Toffoli, that they would probably be shorter contracts. Right. Um, but but it is possible to get both of them in. We'll see if that's something. Again, it, it's it's still so much up in the air. Yeah. Toffoli is is not even back from his injury. You know, he, he, I think that both camps would prefer to wait just a little bit just to see. I don't know if maybe both camps, but but surely from from it would make sense from Tyler Toffoli's standpoint. Um, because he, he hasn't gotten into his yeah. stride yet. He's coming off a 31-goal season. He's got eight goals right now so far on the season, if I'm correct. Uh, Sounds right. So. Yeah, I mean, I would expect hesitancy from every team. I just see the the expansion draft as being such a disruptive event that next next year's rosters for every team, not just the Kings, I fully expect them to... to I, I, it'll be March of next year before I finally figured out where everybody <laughs> has has settled because well, you've got teams that need to move huge contracts, teams that need to move goalies, 
you know, just between Pittsburgh, Tampa, and uh, some other team that has a goaltending question, but just Tampa and Pittsburgh alone, with what they're going to decide to do with their goalies, could force massive shifts. Dallas has to figure. I mean, well, there's the, just going to the, be the thing. The team this year, the mm-hmm. immediate that that will have an impact if they choose to make a trade in advance of the trading deadline is going to be Colorado. Colorado will have a, a very big impact on a team being able to bolster itself uh, in advance of a run. I'm not saying that a, a deal is eminent. Imminent, right. and we've spoken about this before, and I, you know I've spoken about it on Fox before too. That the trading market is completely flat. It's partly because of the um, this, the expansion draft. Um, it's partly because of the stagnated. Uh, salary cap uh, and the weak Canadian dollar. It's also partly because of the three-point system where uh, teams, that you basically have two elite teams, mm-hmm. two or three teams that are way out of it, and everybody else is, is still fighting for a playoff spot. So teams aren't going to want to give up their assets and aren't going to you know, make an indication to their fans that they're you know, not interested in winning this year. So, um, you know, and on top of all that, you, you really see a lot of, you don't see a lot of, but you see hockey trades now where it's like a, an example, the Jeff Carter trade, the Ryan Johansson for Seth Jones trade, um, where it's you deal from a position of depth for a position of need. And, you know, it's hard to make those types of trades with a team like Colorado. Colorado needs so much. They're not going to, their positions of need are everywhere <laughs> where they're not going to, you know, they're yeah. going to be a little bit more hesitant to give up some of their assets. Um, so it's, it's, it's very difficult, difficult climate to make trades right now. Don't expect anything crazy. I think you'll see a lot of UFAs being moved prior mm-hmm. to the trading deadline. Um, and, but I would imagine that we'll see an uptick uh, in the number of trades made uh, in between the Stanley Cup final and the expansion draft, and then again after the expansion draft and, and during the NHL draft. Um, so so it's, it's going to be interesting that, that you know, you know be comfortable, get into a nice, comfortable chair, turn on the TV, you know, those couple of days after uh, the, the Stanley Cup final and, and right in advance of the, uh, the draft. The parity, you know, I understand how it benefits the league. I understand there's a, there's a vested interest in them having, you know, 28 teams competing for a playoff spot as late as March. You know, you look at the Western Conference and Arizona and Colorado are the only teams that I would say definitively are out of it at this point. But it almost feels unfair to me, that teams like Vancouver, Dallas, well, maybe not Dallas, but I have been very confident, and people can disagree with me on this, but that Vancouver and Calgary are three or four years overdue on a teardown and rebuild. And I Calgary. Calgary is yeah. up and up. No, no, no. Well, because, because they happen to be investing in yeah, younger yeah, yeah. players. Vancouver, absolutely, 100%. But, but even a team like Calgary, if I'm Calgary, I understand why they're fighting tooth and nail to make it to the playoffs, because every playoff game is a million dollars in revenue, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But guys like Giordano, uh, you know, they were struggling with Aginla and their goaltending a few years ago. So it it's almost seems cruel to me to taunt teams like Vancouver <laughs> with, with, a, with the illusion of competitiveness. I, I, I want to get to the real issue here, because mm-hmm. Calgary is still very much in, in it and will be in it for a while. But one of the issues that there will be um, for the next lockout mm-hmm. is going to be those the contracts coming off of entry-level contracts, yeah. where these players now have a lot of leverage, where you look at Johnny Goudreau, he's coming off his ELC, and he now is able to command $6.75 million up mm-hmm. until 2022. That's not good for team construction. Um, that's going to end up pricing certain mid-level players out of the league, um, or even, you know, Sean Monahan, 22 years old, you know, and he, he's... $6.375 million yeah. cap. It. So I think from the general managers and the owners' perspectives, they want to see a cap 
on the on the contracts that the players receive for their second NHL contract. They have right. to be structured a little bit better. Do you expect that we'll and, and see? You know what? And that's, that goes into a whole free market discussion yeah. right there. I mean, this is this is what a player is might be worth. So. Well, but that gets me that gets me onto my my second favorite boring topic <laughs> after fancy stats, which is the notion that sports are not a free market. Yeah, that's I mean, completely true. Right? Yeah, like absolutely. You, I can't just pick up my well, I don't play hockey, but if you know, Alan Jankovic can't just pick up his hockey bag and say, "I'm going to go play in Seattle." Yeah, yeah, like, yep. that's just not going to happen. Um, but uh, or do you think we'll see things like in the NBA, the, the most recent? Uh, CBA argument they had was over shortening contracts. Do you think we'll see a, a shortening of the eight-year contract? That I haven't heard anything of, but I have heard that there are many who are upset with the the the, the term and the degree to which the elite young players are going to be mm-hmm. getting paid on those those second contracts. It's uh, look, I don't know how much this interests other people, but it always fascinates <laughs> me. The things like the notion that a, that a guy like Stephen Stamkos, who ultimately decided to stay in Florida. Um, there's so many elements that we never think about, whether it's state income tax in a given, you know, uh, a given state or province, whether it's ability to monetize yourself, you know, through um, endorsements in a market, you know, in an utterly free uh, economic situation, a guy like Stamkos should be worth way more to Toronto than to Tampa, right? Like if if the shackles were taken off and Toronto could give Stephen Stamkos however much they wanted, why wouldn't they just give him twenty million a year? Um, whereas a team like Phoenix is never going to, well, you're shrugging, but anyway, like I said, yeah, I don't know yeah. if this interests me, it, 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 interests other people, LA but team, but you know what? So we both have decided there won't be any major trades probably, but that is not the only avenue. This is not the only avenue for uh, improving your team in 2012. We saw Dwight King and Jordan Nolan called up 2014. We saw Tyler Toffoli and Tanner Pearson, uh, earn a, a permanent spot on the Kings roster. Is there anybody out in Ontario that you think is most likely to be called up? There's been a lot of rumblings for guys like Kempe and Mersh. Um, I, I think a lot of us who cover this team on a daily beat have been expecting this team to make that recall mm-hmm. in January because that's generally when the team you know might trade away a, a player who is bound for UFA or waive a player that, that might currently be occupying a spot and bring in some reinforcements. And, you know, I think that's something that does help, you know, inject some life and a new look into the team a little bit. Um, the player that I, I've generally been hearing and also would assume um, would be a player to be called up would be Michael Mersh. He would be near the top of the list. I haven't heard Kempe's name as much come up as, as I did as, as, as very early in the season when he had that long camp with the L.A. Kings. Mm-hmm. Um, but Michael Mersh is somebody I, I probably wouldn't expect him to play on a top-six type role, um, but is still somebody that, that could provide another type of a... Uh, a body, a grinding element, a net front presence. We all know Michael Mersh, and, and this would probably be like, all right, Michael Mersh, you've done everything you possibly can in the AHL. Let's see what right. you can, let's, it, like, let's let's see what what's going to happen here. Um, he's somebody that could eventually get called up. I know he had a uh, lower body injury, but did skate um, uh, on Friday with um, with Ontario. And uh, I want to check. I think Lindsay's about to put out the report right now. I want to see if he's going to be available. It looked like he was because he was skating on a line with healthy players. Uh, for the outdoor game in Bakersfield too, um, but that's that's always the time. This is we're getting towards that time of the year when when teams will generally make that that call up. Whether it's going to be now, whether it's going to be a, a month from now, this is around that time of the year. Um, you know, I'd ask about Johnny Brzezinski. He's been having such a great season too. Uh, the sense that I get about about Brzezinski is, you know, it's 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 about a transition to playing the pro game. He's he's done everything that's more or less been asked of him here in the second pro season coming off of an injury at the end of last year but you know there's still just kind of the whole um 
how should I say, I guess, just kind of mentality of being that professional athlete. That's not to say that he had any poor approach before, um, but just trying to make sure that, that you know, you, you kind of almost hear them talk about building guys back up, beating them down and then building guys back up into their mode, mold of a, a Los Angeles Kings hockey player. I, I think that's something that's going to come along with Johnny Bedrinsky, but he, his skating has improved immensely. He's got a terrific shot. He really does. It's going to be interesting to see whether he's going to be maybe a second or third line type player because he's somebody that could probably chip in some goals. I don't know right now. When I had asked before a couple of weeks ago about him, I did not get the sense that he would be the first player called up, but hey, we should see. He's somebody that's certainly going to be under consideration and and uh, that would be interesting. I want to thank you, as always, for joining me, John. Jesse, my pleasure. I will see you tomorrow on Saturday Straight Up. On Saturday Straight Up. We actually, we, I'm sorry, we did talk some college football on Saturday Straight Up. We week. did. We did. But it's... At least Jack Wilson wasn't it's, uh, it's It's timely. It's actually appropriate at this point. So, for John Rosen, my name is Jesse Cohen. Thanks for listening, Kings fans. We'll talk to you soon.